Hello, I'm Mark McCurgo and welcome to the Village in the City podcast, helping you build micro-local community where you live. So hello everyone, welcome to Village in the City and our latest podcast with our special guest, Bella Kerr. And we're talking about intergenerational working this time. Bella is an intergenerational development officer uh, who works across Scotland, encouraging people to do good, indeed excellent, intergenerational work. And it's great to have her here today as part of World Internet Intergenerational Week. I think that's right, Bella. Welcome to you. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for inviting me along. It's a great pleasure. I think this is one of those areas that every local community, every neighbourhood community can get involved with. And I was very impressed when I started to learn about intergenerational work from one of your colleagues here in uh, Scotland uh, about how actually what I thought was intergenerational work wasn't quite right. So maybe we should start with that. So tell us, what is good intergenerational work in your experience? Good intergenerational work is work that is reciprocal. Both parties are involved. It's work that the young and the older people are together doing something interactive together that benefits both of them. Bad intergenerational practice is something that's done at them. Because I remember there was an example. I did a little online training with with your outfit, which was very good. And one of the examples was old people going and talking about the war with with school children. That's not good intergenerational work because it's not reciprocal. Is that right? Yes, it's not reciprocal. So that's the older people going in and, and speaking to the younger people. But there's not any kind of reciprocal interaction. It's kind of similar to if young children go to a care home hmm. or a sheltered housing complex and and stand in front of the older people and sing. Right. That's not intergeneration work either, really. So no. No. Okay, so maybe you could give us some good examples of intergenerational work projects and activities that you've been involved with. Yes, there's so many. I mean, across Scotland, I have worked with generations working together for four years, and we do cover Scotland and have maybe 4,000 members who are involved in intergenerational work or who are interested in being involved. We could think about, you know, what kind of work they do. It varies from project to project. The one that I can think of most maybe as a recent one that has won one of our awards. And it is boat building in Ayrshire. So it's done with a school and with some older people who are responsible for building boats and skiffs from scratch and working with a group of young people from college and school who go in and meet with the older people and then weekly go in and work on the skills together. Basically, at the beginning, when they start, their relationships usually, they're quite shy about getting involved. And I've been down to meet them several times. And as the project grows and the younger people get more confident, they're learning skills, but they're also learning how to speak with older people. And the older people are learning that the younger people are interested in them. And that's a good example. And there are many other examples. I don't know how many examples you want me to give, but it could be a gardening project. It could be like Diana in Knox from Glenfield House. 
and Bagatelle mm-hmm. in, in Greenock. They do some intergenerational work with young people from a college and they do some work with young people from a nursery. The thing about that is it's usually planned. The people who do these jobs well have normally had some kind of training to understand how to do it, that it will be sustainable. So Diana is one of Bella's colleagues and she's one of the people joining us on the call and we're going to open it up to questions a bit later on. So we'll be hearing more from Diana and some of the other people a bit later on, I think. How did you get into intergenerational work, Bella? What was it got you started on being really passionate about this? Well, my past working life, I had worked in children's homes for 15 years with care, experienced young people who quite often didn't have access to parents, let alone grandparents. And relationships with older people were difficult for them. And in later years, I went on to study sociology at university. And when I came out, I started teaching. And and then from there, I started working with older people. And I was working a lot with older people in the community and people maybe with experiencing some difficulties in their life. Then I saw the job for intergenerational development officer. And I had been a person who'd worked mostly with older people and I'd experienced times with them doing active living, tea dances, lots of different projects. They walked to the moon, things like that. And I realised intergenerational work made sense because all the years that I had worked with older people, it was very rare that they came in contact with younger people. Yes, and I think that's one of the things that we see Village in the City having an important role in a, in a, a very local neighbourhood community, you, you get a mixing of older and younger, of people of different backgrounds, of people of different kind of educational levels, people of different outlooks. Uh, but, but you share the same few square yards of ground, and that itself is a, a good reason to, to talk. One of my hopes of Village in the City is it helps to bridge some of these divides that are appearing in our society, and uh, I think this is such a key topic right now and intergenerational working is, is such an important piece of that we're very glad to hear from you today Bella one of the things I've heard you speak about is about how intergenerational work can help people feel safer together say a bit about that please yes well there's a lot of separation between generations in our communities where younger people do not come into contact with older people and vice versa. And we don't get any favours done to us by the media sharing stories of, you know, young people are um, creating havoc over here or older people are costing us a fortune. Older people are taking younger people's jobs. So there's all these stories. And if you're not informed properly, you build up a picture in your own mind that could end up being quite ageist. Younger people ages towards older people and older people being ages towards younger people. So there's a there's a kind of relationship that's been formed, although we don't know each other. And then they're in people's heads. They've already made a decision that has created a bit of bias within themselves. And it can, at times of pressure or times when people need assistance and help, it creates that kind of divide where our communities don't work so well together. But in actual fact, you know, if we could create more intergenerational places and spaces for people to meet, and we look at spatial planning and intergenerational living or public spaces, 
being full of different generations. Scotland itself, with its weather and its climate, doesn't really do so well with, uh, like, we're not in Italy and it's not the piazza and the square, but we have got some really nice kind of ideas, you know, for sharing more and um, for people being together. And more and more policymakers and designers are looking at the idea of bringing people closer together. And I suppose, Mark, you had mentioned about feeling safe. And actually, at the moment, we're working on a piece of research looking at um, how intergenerational relationships, if they're formed and people got to know each other from a different age group, they could, in fact, feel safer in their community and their perceived fear of crime could be diminish in some way. And if people feel safe, then they're happier. And I, I like this quote. It's from Donna Butts from Generations United in America. And she says that communities are places where people should feel safe to grow up and grow old in. Isn't that good? People should feel safe to grow up and grow old. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And I don't know, I mean, we've, we've heard of age-friendly communities. Have you heard this term? I haven't, I'm afraid. Say well, it's, it's, it's a world movement. I think it originates, and I don't quote me on this because it might not be, but the World Health Organization has done a lot of work on age-friendly communities. And age-friendly communities are about places that are, are, are good for everyone to grow up and grow old in. But especially, you know, looking at, how we can live together, how we can enhance each other's lives. And as we know, older people are living longer and we really need to try and come up with something that makes life good for everyone. The other thing is that as we grow old and um, we may near the time when we're no longer in paid employment, we're still useful as people. But often because we're not in paid employment, we are viewed as maybe um, not contributing to society. And the statistics do show and, and the work shows that often younger and older people are the ones in our society who are least listened to. Mm, yes. So I suppose, you know, it, across the board, it could be a small relationship that forms between an individual. It could be the trickle effect of a community event that is formed that gets people to know each other. It could be people living in a care home where there's an invisible barrier and they're not part of the community. But if it's opened up, people feel part of their community. And there's been quite a few studies done on the difference it makes to people's health when they've been involved in intergenerational projects. There's more research done in America, Spain, in Singapore than there has been in Scotland, but we've seen a growing interest in research and intergenerational practice over the past uh, so many years and um, lots more work being done. Thank you, Bella. A Village in the City, we're very interested in helping people do really local work, like neighbourhood level communities or even smaller than that, you know, street level, block level, you know, streets around the park level. Um, I'm wondering if you might be able to share an idea or two for how people might get started. 
you know, if they're they're just thinking, starting to look around them and thinking it would be good to do some intergeneration work in my neighbourhood, what would be a way of getting started, do you think? I would probably suggest some food and maybe just inviting a few neighbours along and sharing a brunch. Um, it's something that brings people together with food and, and, and celebration. I know that the Eden Project encourages that, you know, with the big lunch, um, just getting people to come along and meet each other. Yeah, maybe some kind of, sometimes the local libraries have book bug. Maybe they could have book bug where they involve older people reading the stories. Um, I've not come across book bug. I must go and look that up. Right. Yeah, book bug is really good. And I know that um, some of the nursing homes have had book bug and shared with um, nurseries and residents as well. And over COVID, there was older people reading a story to children online, which was really popular. Yeah. And there's also things like um, the, the, the carers group in Argyle, they, um, they had a knitting group of younger and older carers. So that you could have a book group, a book club, a knitting group. Uh, you could play golf. You could play rugby. You could uh, read literature together. I, I suppose yeah. the, the question that springs to my mind is, yeah, yes, you can do all that. But, but my experience of things like book clubs is they tend to attract people, the same kind of people. You know, and uh, we have a book club here, but it's most my wife won't mind me saying this, but it's mostly ladies of a certain age um, who enjoy a book and they have a lovely time talking about the books. But uh, I'm just wondering how how we could how to go about widening that out, you know, in terms of the age range involved. I know libraries are looking at it because they were they were, Inverness Library had asked about it and they were going to look into having a book club that in, involved all ages and they would use a book that would be readable you know maybe like yes. something like John Green The Fault in Our Stars or something like that so it's readable for both age groups but I mean it's not just the reading one there's so many I think food's a good starter it could be that um, you know your local neighbours you could share sort of um, plants if you were going to plant some seeds um, if it is just your neighbour there was pots of kindness and it was, um, you know, maybe planting a, a, a herb and going to your neighbour and an, an older person in the community and, and giving them it and saying, this is for you. And it just breaks down the communication barriers that happen. And I did mention about the group in Jedburgh, the, the young skateboarders who went round all the neighbours around the park, the skateboard park, and knocked the doors and said, we're giving you this plant. We want to say hi. We are skateboarders. We are the people that are across the street. We might have our hoods up, but we're here and we wanted to say hi to you. So just breaking down some barriers. I think public spaces, there's good examples in Rutherglen mm -hmm. where the community took over a public park and started working together on it. And also there's like a park in Glasgow where I've forgotten the name of the park. But anyway, what they do is they have um, picnics. I don't know where I'd say that word anywhere. They have like lunches in the park. They have movie nights and they have kind of different activities that happen for all ages. In your local street, I, I think you could just encourage your young people to speak to older people and just share the message that it's good to connect. 
I always use the example when I'm out and about, if I'm with younger people, I talk about Home Alone and how the old man at the beginning of the film is seen as a baddie. But at the end of the film, he's the person that comes and hits the baddies on the head with a big spade. And I I try and connect with that to get young people. I always remember a young girl in a children's home saying to me, you're really old and you've got hairs growing out your nose. (laughs) And I was only 35. So... (laughs) I think younger people, they have incredible eyesight, they're really fast, they've got quick memories and quick brains, and um, they're curious, and I just think it's a good match to try and encourage them to realise that one day they'll be part of that life cycle, and they will age too, and let them know it's not scary to age, and we can learn from each other. Yes, that's fantastic, Bella. So just before we open it up, a couple more things I just wanted to talk with you. One is that we're in the middle of this international intergenerational week as we talk right now. Uh, what's what's the international picture on this? It's the global, it's the global, global, global intergenerational week. And uh, we did have a debate in Parliament last evening. And it's getting the kind of message across between countries. And it's a movement. It's a movement in solidarity to say this is what matters. And people are realising that actually our communities need more connectedness. I suppose, um, sure. yeah, I suppose this way our policy officer, Rudy Smith, um, you know, he he's... He's involved to ensure that policymakers at all levels of government kind of look at um, our policy, their policy around intergenerational work. And there is a lot of work around intergenerational fairness, um, approaches that have to be given consideration to. And the Global Week um, has something every day, um, a theme every day to follow from breaking down stereotypes in ageism to joining in intergenerational activities. And it's all about just kind of challenging communities to say, did you know that you could do this? And it's actually quite fun, but on a larger level, it can change the way the structures of our world, you know, as it is, it can change how we how we bring people together. Absolutely. And there's also quite a lot of material available online. I did a very good little introductory one hour roughly course, which was packed with good stuff. And there was, I think there was much more. Where, where should people go to find that stuff? Yeah, the, the website, our own website is uh, www.generationsworkingtogether.org. Although it may have changed to <laughs> well, something I'll check, else, actually. I'll check it, Bella, and we'll, we'll make sure that the... It might be www.gwt.scot. Okay, well, I'll make sure that it the, the right website link goes out with the podcast anyway, uh, so people can get in touch. But if you are listening to this, and do go to these websites, folks, because the resource, yes. high-quality learning resources and, and information there, which you can easily tap into from anywhere in the world. So do go and check that out. It's free to anyone in Scotland, but there is a charge to anyone else in the world. Uh-huh. 
Well, they should come and live in Scotland then. Such a nice place, isn't it? Uh, thanks for making that clear, Bella. A quick reminder that you're listening to the Village in the City podcast, helping you build micro-local community where you live. Well, we opened up the call and it was Bella's colleague, Diana Knox, who wanted to come on and share some of her experiences of helping with intergenerational work. Yeah, I work in, I'm the activity development coordinator in um, for Greenup Medical Aid Society. So we've got two care homes, Bagatelle and Glenfield. We care for about 90 residents. Majority of those residents are in the at some stage in the in the dementia pathway, um, and uh, the others are in there for physical reasons, social reasons, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I've just been making some some notes here, um, and they may be able to help you, Mark, with with some of um, some of your questions. Um, like uh, Bella, um, she her movie is Home Alone. Um, my, my movies are Sister Act One and Sister Act Two. I think um, you know that's that, that just says it all. So um, so anyway, yeah, you you were talking about safe being safe. Now I, I'm I'm talking from my experience working in a care home. You know, so I don't have a lot of community um, experience yet. Um, so. As a as to use the word safe, I, I don't think really is applicable to us because well, I hope that all our residents feel safe all the time. But with intergenerational projects and the children coming in and the college children coming in, and groups, you know, whether they come in at Christmas to sing a song or something like that, there's an increase in confidence. You know, it's very apparent that these people sort of all of a sudden light up. You know, and they can. You know, they they learn very quickly to interact. You know, they've asked a question, somebody's asked a question, and the, the question's answered, whereas I could walk in and ask a question and so everyone just sort of sits there and looks at me. <laughs> so it's the confidence of, of my residents anyway in that um in in that uh sense of the intergenerational stuff. Um gardening. Listen, I, I work in a care home and, and I'm responsible for the gardens and it is an awful lot of work. Um, so my suggestion to you is that maybe you contact a, a care home or a residential home mm -hmm. and possibly offer to come in and just help them out with the garden. Now it's summer, you know, it's the right time of the year, planting and all that sort of stuff. And through that connection, which happened to me, you know, through that one um, that gardening project that we set up with uh, a, a nursery, Battery Park Nursery, years and years ago, it's now opened up, you know, and I'm in contact with far, far more people than I would ever have imagined only because of that gardening project through a care home. Mm -hmm. um, I know the intergenerational stuff, you know, what Bella, it's, you tend to say like 25 years of a, an age difference. I... I'm more of the thinking that anybody of a different age can communicate with somebody else and they can and offer a conversation. It doesn't matter whether it's reminiscence conversations or, you know, it's totally brand new, you know, what's happening in the world today. Um, so, yeah, so I, I would say, you know, maybe try and get in touch with a care home and offer your services uh, even for its loneliness in care homes is a huge problem. Um, okay. 
And even if it's a befriending, you go in there. I've got a guy that comes in and sits with one of my residents and reads the newspaper to him. And it is, it's lovely to see. It's calm, cool, you know, they've <laughs> chilled out. And uh, yeah, I'd say go down that path okay. to start off with. Okay. Thank you, Diana. That's a great advice. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You mentioned 25 years there. Is that the kind of working definition of what intergenerational 20, is? It's 20 years. To be intergenerational, it's 20 years. But I mean, if it's multi-generational, it's across generations. Yeah. But intergenerational is specifically 20 years. Um, I suppose, yeah, there's always this intergenerational approach to learning as well. And there are quite a lot of pro- projects that are mentoring People will go and volunteer their time in schools to offer help with um, reading or mathematics or something like that. And they'll they'll volunteer to help and assist and maybe challenge ageism in the school and look at the learning, you know, helping the young people to to read and, and write and uh, do sort of um, mathematics or arithmetic. So there is a lot of... Um, a lot of projects and a lot of communities that go into schools and, and work with schools. There's a really good example in Ayrshire where this, the older people went into the school and what the head teacher said was that the older people through time got more confident and they learned that they got to know the younger people in the community and they met each other in the shop and uh, broke down the barrier. So local schools are a good place to go as well, as as are churches um, and any kind of groups that meet in communities. Cardonald, there was an older people's group, and they, um, when I went to meet with them, they said, oh, we always avoid the bus when it's school time because it's absolutely <laughs> riotous, right? <laughs> Um, so I said, well, have you ever thought of inviting them along and, and finding out stuff that they do? And you could ask them to bring tablets and you could maybe look at something in the local area. And they said they hadn't thought of that, but that was something they would think of doing. So simple solutions. You know, relationships are formed in, in the, the funniest of places. And, and it improves how you feel about yourself. Um, there, there was a project at one time called Gangster Grannies, which was, a, you know, and they were in the park and they were doing things uh, together. And there's also a project in Leith um, where it's the Citadel Youth Project. Have you heard of this? Uh, carry on, carry on. Well, they, um, they have a project there and basically young and older people come together and they've done all sorts of things together and they've produced a tool book a toolbox I call it a tool book it's a book <laughs> and uh, it's got lots of ideas about intergenerational work but they've done everything together from cooking sewing dancing you name it they, they've they've worked really closely together breaking down barriers so that's a very good project as well and then there's all sorts of there's projects where older people go in. There's one in Dumfries where an older lady living with dementia goes into a local nursery. So it's um, it's called JB's Nursery in, in Dumfries. And this lady is brilliant. She's considered a member of staff because she's just so rich in her, her, her 
practice with the children. Um, so this is really good uh, for, you know, the, the community as well, because yeah. I think the head of the nursery, Jackie, she met this older lady when she was out shopping and she noticed her and she she wondered why she was in you know the shop and basically she got to know her and uh, it ended up she now works in the nursery three days a week so there's examples like that all over Scotland it, it just gives you such a buzz to listen to all the different things going on I love listening to Diana and Bella's got examples from everywhere around Scotland it's just marvelous um to just top up the bank a little bit and always get that you know other people are doing this and oh they've had that idea they've had this idea because it's really just about being human it's just about having the connections and you have to start the connections in order to build the relationships and we need relationships all the way through life so for me it just always feels like Anytime we separate society, we separate children from teenagers, from adults of different age groups, we take something away from every age group. So this is just about being really intentional and making it work again, bringing people together, letting them knit together, find out about each other, share learning, share joy. (laughs) There doesn't need to be anything other than you just really enjoy the company together, but the rest of it will ripple from it. And it's it's just magic. I absolutely love it. So um, yeah, I'm really pleased I was able to tune in. <laughs> and it's always, always a pleasure listening to Bella, just bringing out example after example after example. <laughs> it's marvellous. Thanks, Doreen. I, I, you used the word intentional there. And I think that that's one of the things that's jumped out at me since I started looking at intergenerational work and how it works well is it it's not an accident i think there's a lot of thinking can go in there can be nice accidents too of course there can be and serendipity and so forth and that can be very helpful but there's something about if you're going to do an intergenerational project it seems to me set out to do it well and think about it and think about how you set it up because if these things are set up well then they then they'll fly and if they're not set up very well, then they'll stutter and, and fail all too often. So there's something about that intention, I think, that really being clear at the outset about what we're trying to do. And then, and then of course, it's a step at a time and let's do what we can and see what works and build on that. Um, and as I say, do tap into these resources that are out there, folks, if you want to expand your local community in this direction there's some great stuff out there uh, we'll put some links with the podcast uh, and this is an area i think that is so rich and so valuable uh, and it benefits absolutely everybody who's involved uh, you know and, and that's that's the key piece that i'm taking away from today is that good intergenerational work is, is has something in it for everyone involved uh, and everyone's benefiting uh, from the activities Uh, And you get some other side effects and other things happening as well. Uh, Other connections and other things may spring from it. And this is all this is all great stuff. The the key word is intentional, because otherwise we're bringing people together who otherwise would never have met. And are probably our nuclear family, our changes in family structures, our changes in living circumstances, Our modern world has separated us from each other. 
But we are like the animal kingdom. We do run in circles together naturally. We were part of um, clans and groups in the past. And if we look at traditional society, it was very much a natural thing to be together. There is a lot of research and a lot of work being done around co-housing, um, sharing spaces and places, work where there's more kind of shared neighbourhoods and shared kitchens where people are cooking together. And it may be that our world may work towards a society that is based on more shared living. Mm. So that's another kind of area that our own uh, work looks at and how we kind of have community spaces that are built that are environmentally friendly, that grow veg, that, uh, you know, fruit and veg, that have play spaces for children, that have walk areas for people and older people, but also have links to our um, local shops and and high quality good food. So our whole future is a kind of mark of maybe a change in structures of how we view our society and um, looking at a world where we have broken down barriers of ageism, stereotypes, and all these other isms that stop people from connecting in so many ways. And I'm, I'm glad Lorene managed to come along today because she was involved last year in a piece of work with Play Scotland where she um, brought together a whole piece of work around play and storytelling. And it's a it's a wonderful publication and it's free and it's on our website. So welcome, Lorene, to being here today. And I thought she might have mentioned that because it was an excellent piece of work. Lorene, would you like to say something about that, please? I don't mention anything that I did, which is a bad habit. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was an absolute joy. So I have, um, and we, we worked together with various different uh, settings, particularly looking at care homes with children as a post-pandemic situation of trying to rebuild or create new connections and using, um, so it could be a whole other podcast just on play, but play has so many different facets to it. There's some, th some ways to connect in every way. And it's part of um, the intrinsic journey of life, really. It's And then we share that through our storytelling. So it was about really bringing that to the fore and making it be seen as something for every generation. It's what connects us and how we actually um, share our culture and share learning and, in very dynamic ways and make it very unique to the situation that we're in at that time. So I have a strong background that covers play <laughs> and um, just having the opportunity to bring that forward as something that not only was of the moment around COVID times, but long lasting. And the legacy work from doing the sort of pilot uh, of Summer of Play was we were able to create this publication using case studies and top tips and ideas from many different practitioners in different ways. So it was uh, an absolute joy to work on it. It wasn't the easiest doing anything over pandemic times, but uh, our post-pandemic times, early days after the the um a huge level of separation that we all experienced. But yeah, it's lovely to have brought it together, having um, Play Scotland at the centre of it too, and making sure that what we've got is things that people can dip into and use and hopefully be inspired by. 
Thank you, Lorene. And we'll make sure there's a link also to that work, Summer of Play, uh, in the material that goes out with this podcast. Well, thank you, everybody who's come along, who's contributed. And a particular big thank you to Bella for being our special guest today and bringing all this great know-how and sunny uh, expertise uh, into the uh, into the world of Village in the City. And it's been absolutely superb to have you along today. Thank you very much indeed, Bella. Thank you for having me, Mark. <laughs>